The voice of Motown, West Virginia's leader in news, analysis, and rumors, proudly presents the Voice of Motown podcast, featuring your boys, Brandon and Tyler. Take it away, gentlemen. All right, welcome to our podcast on April 19th, 2022. This is the Voice of Motown podcast. I'm Tyler Pepe. And I'm Brandon Cork, and this is a WVU sports podcast by two suffering WVU fans. All right, guys, today we are going to talk about football and basketball commitments. Also, we will discuss how football teams schedule their out-of-conference games. Before we dive into all that, please follow us on social media. Just look for the Voice of Motown podcast, and please drop a comment. We love interacting with all the WVU fans. Absolutely, and send us your feedback on this episode, any other episode that you've listened to that you want to chat about or give feedback, and if you're feeling generous, feel free to drop a donation. The link is in our, the bio of the podcast description, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Absolutely. All right. So it's official. JT Daniels committed to West Virginia last week, and the fan base has been buzzing ever since. So what is your reaction to this news? I think it's huge. I mean, I think he's easily the most talented quarterback on this roster. Uh, I don't think. I know. Um, in terms of experience, in terms of talent level, um, just the way he processes the game, um, arm talent. I know he doesn't have the strongest arm, but, you know, I don't think it's weaker than really anyone else on the team. Um, you know, when you look at even the Big 12, you can argue that JT Daniels might be the best quarterback in the conference now. Um, you know, the only argument might be Quinn Ewers, but he hasn't played a down yet, so that's kind of the only other guy I can think of. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I'm with you. I think you make a good argument that he could possibly, I mean, he's definitely in the argument for the best quarterback in the big 12. So I definitely think we upgraded and that's no knock on the other three quarterbacks. It's just JT Daniels is more experienced and he's more proven. The other three are kind of question marks at this point. Whereas, um, you know, we've talked about in past episodes, his stats, He's a proven winner thus far. Um, now, we all know about his injury issues in the past. We've talked about that, too. So for this podcast, I just want to talk about, um, you know, now that he's officially here, the upside. So Daniels and Graham Harold, they're pretty familiar with one another. Um, they only worked together briefly because Daniels got hurt early on that season that they were together. But I got to believe that that's going to help bring JT Daniels up to speed very quickly. And he even made some comments um, recently after he committed about how them two being familiar is a huge advantage. So uh, what are your thoughts on those two already having a relationship? I think it helps out a lot. I mean, definitely having that familiar familiarity, considering he is from the West Coast, um, should really help him out a lot. I mean, West Virginia is going to be a strange new world. Um, but the positive of that is, you know, we've mentioned it in the past about how, you know, if you're a superstar at WVU, you're basically treated like you're a celebrity, a professional athlete at WVU. And I could see JT Daniels very quickly gaining that sort of positive vibe around the fan base. Um, you know, people treating him like he is, you know, a demigod, you know, as long as he produces. Um, you know, and even looking at the team, um, you can argue that we don't know what the surrounding weapons are right now and how they're going to perform just because of how 
inconsistent and bad the offense has been the past couple years. Um, I think we have tools around him. I mean, I think Bryce Ford Wheaton has the tools to be a great wide receiver. I think Caden Brather has the potential and the tools to be a great wide receiver. We've seen great seasons from, or a great season from Sam James, um, but the drops have been inconsistent. And I think we have a great backfield. I think we have a, a veteran offensive line, maybe not necessarily good, but um, all those things added together, plus Graham Harrell, plus that familiarity, plus the decision-making of JT Daniels, I think not only makes the offense better, but you know it could make JT Daniels' lives a little bit easier. So what do you think about the surrounding weapons and what our offense could be with JT Daniels back there? I'm with you. I think this could be the best offense Neil Brown has had since he has arrived in Morgantown. I mean, that has been the the biggest issue, honestly. The defense has been pretty solid for the past three seasons. It's just the offense can't consistently put up points to to win games or to knock off teams that you have no business winning against, which, you know, that's how you get to eight, nine wins a year is you win the games you're supposed to and then you knock off a couple upsets. Without a consistent offense, I mean, that's pretty hard to do. And even looking at just last season, WVU scored 20 or less points in six games. Half of our games last year, they barely put up enough points to even win. So, um, you know, everybody knew it was time to shake things up. So credit to Neil Brown for pulling the trigger, getting Graham Harold, getting JT Daniels. Um, I'm, I'm sure that does hurt your ego as a head coach to admit that the guy calling plays and running the offense isn't working out um the guy i've had here throwing the ball is not working out so i will give him credit for um really taking an initiative and changing it up also he has nico waiting in the background who could be a stud in a couple years so he even has uh you know future plans laid out so i give him a lot of credit and that's not to knock brown for you know yeah, what he's done in this offseason, he he has done a lot to fix the offensive struggles, but it's time to produce. It's easy to make it all look good on paper, but um, thus far, I, I love what he has done with the program. Oh, for sure. I mean, I think the reaction to the past month has been great, especially after just so much doom and gloom with all the transfers. Um, Brown really figured it out and brought in some really big names. I mean... JT Daniels is the top quarterback in the portal. Uh, Graham Harrell came out of left field. I don't think anyone kind of saw that coming. I mean, I know it kind of seemed like he was probably going to be on his way out at USC with Lincoln Riley going there, but I don't think anyone saw him moving that far east, um, especially with his connection to other head coaches and other programs. Um, you know, and, and looking at the JT Daniels even more, the, the way that he plays the game is so much, I think, different from Deggy, where Deggy was more of a one-read quarterback, and he was a little slow in those reads. I think JT Daniels is a very quick decision-maker, and that kind of changes the offense as well um, and kind of instills more faith. Because you, if you look at his last two years um, at Georgia, where he played nine games, he has 17 touchdowns to five interceptions. And I think that's what differentiates him from – quarterbacks that we've had in the past at WVU. I mean, even Will Greer, as good of a quarterback he was, he did throw the ball away quite a bit. He was a gunslinger. And I think, you know, what JT Daniels brings is a little bit more stability. And I think that stable quarterback, the one who can make the right decisions, the one who can go through the progressions the way they want them to, makes us a better football team because this isn't a Dana Holgerson team where we're trying to outscore 
teams by, you know, scoring 50 points. This is a team where Neil Brown wants to control the game. He wants to move at a certain pace. He wants the defense to be solid, and he wants the offense to score points when it needs to score points. And JT Daniels really has that trait to be a winner and to lead an offense that doesn't need to put up 50 points a game, doesn't need to break records at WVU. All he needs to do is be a really good, consistent quarterback. And everything that you see on paper in terms of statistics points to him being that guy. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, WVU just needs to average, you know, in the mid to upper 20s, really. And, you know, 30s, of course, would be ideal. And we're going to win more games than we don't. So um, that really brings us to the real question. How many wins does JT Daniels add to West Virginia's record next year? Um, What were your win expectations prior to Daniels committing? And what is your prediction now that he has committed? So I think before he committed, I was honestly looking at probably four or five wins. Um, It's hard to go lower than four, but I I could have seen even lower than that. But it was really hard to go above five. I mean, even best case scenario, um, I think our non-conference schedule would, with a young quarterback, we would not have won any of them. Um, You know, we probably would have beaten Towson, and that's it. Um, Then got beaten up in the Big 12. With JT Daniels, I definitely think, he adds, and I know it sounds ridiculous, another probably four wins. I mean, I, I think the floor for this year's team should be seven wins. Um, and, and a lot of that is just because of all the new faces on the team. Um, a lot of new starters on defense, especially in the secondary. Um, we talked about that a little bit last episode. Um, and then the questions of the offensive line, like I said, it's a veteran group. But have they gotten better? Um, who's going to be starting where? And how are they going to prove themselves and be better? Um, but if you look at some of the games we had last year, uh, most of our losses, except for maybe one or two of the blowout losses were just because our quarterback couldn't get the job done. I mean, you look at Oklahoma, you know, if we had a better offense there, we win that game, uh, against Maryland. If we don't turn, if Jake or Deggy doesn't turn the ball over, we can win that game. Um, Virginia tech, we would have won by more points if he, if Deggy doesn't throw that pick at the end of the game. Um, in Kansas State, you know, we were in that game there towards the end, and we, our offense just wasn't doing anything. Texas Tech, we didn't have an offense the entire first half, and we came back there at the end. Um, and the theme between all of that is offensive consistency, and I think uh, JT Daniels is the epitome of offensive consistency. So I think it's safe to say definitely four more wins. I would say, you know, on the conservative side, seven wins, and maybe that's optimistic for a lot of people, but you know, realistically, I, I would expect eight or nine wins um, because I, I, I have that much confidence in JT Daniels. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm somewhat similar. I was predicting probably roughly five, six wins with Green, Crowder, or Nico at quarterback. Um, being optimistic, I was hoping for six maybe. But now with JT Daniels, um, an experienced quarterback, someone who's familiar, somewhat familiar with this system already. I could see WVU winning anywhere between seven or nine games. So I'll just split it and say eight. Um, there are some games WVU looking at the schedule could go either way. And now with JT Daniels at the quarterback position, I feel like it's more likely to go in our favor. So in my opinion, yeah, Daniels adds anywhere between two to three wins to this team. 
Um, so, I mean, this is a huge get. Anytime you can win two to three more games, hopefully. I mean, this is all on paper. Um, it seems like a slam dunk. So I really I, I can't find a negative for bringing him in right now. Yeah, I, I, I know some people have murmured, maybe whispered it, that WVU could be a dark horse contender for the Big 12 title this year. And I, I honestly don't think it's that ridiculous to think about either. I mean, if we look at the Big 12, you know, you had one of the best couple quarterbacks in the conference leave with uh, Skylar Thompson and Brock Purdy. Um, you have basically all of Oklahoma leaving and a new head coach who has no head coaching experience and Venables coming in to take over. That could be interesting. You still have Texas, who's Texas, and it's hard to tell what direction they're going in. And really the only team to beat is Oklahoma State. And, you know, sometimes their offensive woes can choose them, you know, cause them to lose games as well. So I think the Big 12 is wide open. And if Neil Brown and Graham Harrell and Jordan Leslie can kind of get this group together over the summer, really get them the gel, um, really figure out a way to cover up their weaknesses and get everything to perform consistently, you know, offensively and defensively, you know, this is something things could just go our way. And, you know, looking at the schedule, there's no games on there that I think we should a hundred percent pencil pencil in as a loss because there's no team on there right now that I look at and say, man, that team's stacked. Yeah, you are right. It is kind of a down year for the big 12. Um, I don't know if I'm feeling that optimistic about maybe winning it, but I would definitely, I think it's realistic to say we could be a top three, maybe even top four. If you know, a game doesn't go our way team in the big 12. And so um, to me, that's a win because a couple of weeks ago, I don't think really anyone was predicting that. So, um, but you are right. You know, you get an upset here or there, maybe shock the world. You could definitely have an opportunity towards the end of the year to, Take the conference. So um, we will see. Now, there are ripple effects to this. Um, you know, we mentioned the other quarterbacks, Nico Green and Crowder. You've got to think that one of them is going to transfer within the next year because of this. Um, not that we're trying to push any of them out. We like all of these guys, but, you know, four quarterbacks, that's a pretty heavy locker room. Um so you got to think if it's not before the season, definitely by season's end, I think one of them's transferring. So in your opinion, who is it and why? I'm going to say Goose. Um, I think he is kind of shoehorned into kind of being in the most awkward position. I think with Garrett Green, he definitely has potential to transfer as well, but he could also switch to another position. It really depends on how committed he is to playing quarterback. And you know, it, it depends on what he wants to do in his future, too. I mean, if he wants to be a pro, he's never going to be a pro at quarterback. Um, he's too short, too skinny. Um, I just don't see any future for him there. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not it. Maybe he just wants to play college ball and then get on with his life getting coaching or something like that. But if we're talking about long-term projection um, with Crowder, you know, I think it's just a tough situation for him because if he was going to win the job, it would have to be this year. If he doesn't win the job, then he's going to be stuck behind someone for a very long time. And he's really not going to get to play, especially with Nico there. And for Nico, um, this situation I think is perfect for him because he can redshirt his freshman year. He can come in next year. If JT Daniels does incredible this year, then he could come in and start next year. If JT Daniels comes back next year, 
he still comes in and is the favorite to start as a redshirt sophomore with knowing the playbook probably like the back of his hands, um, getting trained by a, a guy who's been at two top-tier um, Power 5 schools and been coached by some of the best coaches in, in, the, in the game. And he gets mentored by someone like JT Daniels on, you know, how he thinks about the game, how to lead a team. Um, and then he gets to take that over. So, you know, that's kind of my thinking behind it. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I'm with you, honestly. I think it's Goose Crowder if I had to pick one. And honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if Green went as well, especially since, you know, he was performing well according to the coaches and all of these spring practices, and it looked like he might be the favorite. So I'm sure that boosted his confidence up, and he probably feels like he can start somewhere now because, you know, he was getting so much praise. He was getting, you know, from what they were saying, they were sharing reps, but um, – I'm sure he was getting the quote-unquote first-team reps. So um, don't get me wrong. Daniels has a history of injuries, so I would like all four quarterbacks on the roster going into next season um, just in case, you know, we might need them. But common sense tells you that one, if not two of them, are going to transfer sooner than later. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think if one of them transferred, I'd be fine with one transferring before the season. I definitely don't want to go into the season with – um, only Daniels and, and uh, Nico on the roster. Uh, I definitely think we need at least one of those guys to stick around um, because next year we have Jeter coming in and then, you know, you have that three quarterback rotation. Um, if both quarterbacks would transfer out before the season started or even during the season, you know, then you risk of losing Nico, uh, losing Nico's red shirt if something were to happen to Daniels. And I think that's really valuable because, you know, I, I would rather have Nico kind of sitting and learning because, you know, reading the practice reports, it seems like, you know, he's trying to force things a little bit too much. He's still adjusting to the speed of the game, which is not a red flag, in, in my opinion, at all. He's still learning. It's a big step up. He should still be in high school right now, technically. So um, giving him that year to kind of just get up to speed, get the right strength and conditioning program for him, learn the playbook, understand it, watch JT Daniels play, take pointers from him. I think that would be a huge for his development. Um but, you know, I don't want him out there taking hits or going into situations that might crush his confidence too early. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I definitely don't want to lose Green and Crowder before next season. And, um, you know, like we just said, who knows? They might all four still be on there. But by next spring, um, it, it's hard to talk yourself into seeing all four of them suiting up for the Mountaineers. Um but no matter what happens, we wish him all the best. And, you know, according to us, JT Daniels bringing him in, that's a slam dunk. So it it just is what it is. Um, now, he wasn't the only one to commit. Um, Josiah Trotter also committed. So um, if that name sounds familiar, that's because his father is a former NFL linebacker, Jeremiah Trotter, who I remember very well watching the NFL when I was younger. And Josiah seems like a solid pickup, um, really reading into him. He's a four-star linebacker. He had offers from some major programs like Penn State, Clemson, where his brother's playing. So a lot of people predicted he would go there. Um, so I'm kind of excited about this. What are your thoughts on Trotter coming in? Yeah, I mean, he seems like a stud. And, you know, it sounds like they're bringing him in to play in the middle, which looking at him – you know, reading about him, obviously not watching tape on him. I'm not a real big tape watcher of high school kids, 
But, uh, you know, his size, 6'2", 230 already as a high school, hasn't even played a senior uh, year yet. So has the build to kind of be really stout in the middle and apparently is able to move really well as well. Um, obviously, having those bloodlines, you know, your dad plays in the NFL, things are pretty good. Um, his brother, obviously a good linebacker for Clemson as well, um, highly regarded guy. So he really has the background to do everything. And, you know, we have uh, – I'm going to butcher his name because I haven't practiced it this week, but Kopja in the middle. Um, and, you know, that that – that's a he seems like he's gonna be a really great guy in the middle but having more guys back there especially with the ability to play that have the size when we last year were playing just so many undersized guys at linebacker is huge yeah i i couldn't agree more i um you know i i saw a little bit of film on him and um you know, obviously it's high school, but he did look impressive. And I was reading some quotes about him too. He said he liked West Virginia's defensive scheme. He he thinks he'll fit well here. Um, and it'll translate to his game very well. And by all accounts, people say he's got very good speed. He's very good at um, block shedding. He's got good technique when he does it. He just doesn't rely on brute force. He, he does it right, which, um, you know, shouldn't surprise us. I'm sure his father taught him a lot since he was so successful in the NFL. So um, this 2023 class is starting to show some some promise already. So once again, hats off to Neil Brown and his coaching staff. They, they seem to be excellent recruiters. Yeah, definitely. And I was reading um, the other day, I think it was, as it currently stands, our 2023 class would be ranked 17th in the nation. Obviously, that can change as more teams get more commits and we get more commission that might dilute our average a little bit. But we brought in a lot of really highly talented guys. I know um, one guy we didn't talk about, I think a few few months ago that committed was a defensive back who is a lot of there's a lot of buzz going around that he might end up being the top defensive back prospect in Ohio. Um, his name escapes me right now, but um, he's kind of one of those late bloomer guys that Neil Brown and staff identified early and got him before he kind of blew up. Um, and, you know, that that's one thing that I really like about this staff is they really seem to be able to get relationships with these guys before they get too big. Um, and they end up kind of getting in a state where they have to go to a bigger program because of their profile. Um, you know, so it, it, They've, they've really done a lot of work, and I was concerned with losing guys like Travis Trickett and Jamil Adai because um, they were great recruiters. But, you know, they're not they're not losing steam, and that's encouraging. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the way um, Jordan Leslie has coached on the defensive side, the way they've been recruiting, I mean, if that offense just starts to produce on the field, um, it really seems like things are coming together at West Virginia, but um, we shall see. It's still pretty early. Uh, before we move on from football, I just wanted to mention a couple guys. Is there anybody you're rooting for more next year than Dante Stills and Bryce Ford Wheaton? Um, those two guys have been here for five years. They've gone through two different head coaches, several different position coaches, and, um, you know, I was listening to Bryce Ford Wheaton's press conference the other day. That's what made me think of all this. He said he's been through four wide receiver coaches in that time. Um, so I just wanted to give those two guys a shout out. In, a, in an age of college football where players come and go, 
those two have been very loyal to the school, the coaching staff, teammates, fans. And so um, I'm, I'm just really rooting for those guys because we all know Dante Stills is going to put up huge numbers. He, he just seems to do that consistently year in and year out. But I'm really rooting for Bryce Ford Wheaton to have a monster year because his best year was last year with 500 yards. And I would love it if he was able to eclipse 1,000 yards next year and just end his career on a memorable season. Oh, for sure. And especially with, you know, his bloodlines, his um, but uncle and grandfather having such a you know historical role um, with their time at WVU. It'd be great to see him finish off with a bang um, and really kind of erase the, the couple mediocre seasons he had the past couple of years where it wasn't all his fault. You know, a lot of it has to do with just – the inconsistency of the offense, offensive line issues, um, quarterback question marks. So this is a great opportunity for him, like you said, to go out with a bang. Yeah, I'm with you. So I'm rooting hard for him. I, I hope he has an excellent year. So um, let's switch gears. Let's talk about some basketball. West Virginia basketball received a new commitment last week. Junior college transfer Jimmy Bell Jr. He's a big dude. He's listed at six foot ten. 280 pounds. Some places I saw he was a little less, but uh, regardless, still a big guy. So what are your thoughts on Jimmy Bell Jr.? He's kind of, he's a guy when he committed, I just said, this doesn't make sense. Um, Not to be too blunt about it, but, you know, looking at the previous guys Huggins was, was bringing in, they were guys who could move the ball. They could move around a little bit. You know, they weren't too big. And it, it all signs seem to be pointing back to Press Virginia. With Jimmy Bell, you know, being 6'9", 6'10", and anywhere from, like you said, 270, and the, the article I have in front of me right now says 290, that, that's not a guy who plays Press Virginia. And it's not like he's a young guy who has three or four years left. He's coming in as a junior. He's already played two years of – or one year of JUCO, one year at St. Louis. Um and he's not someone who really dominated in JUCO either. I mean, nine points, nine rebounds, one and a half blocks a game, 59% from the field. Um, I mean, it doesn't really, you know, if you look at him compared to Muhammad Wag, who played as a freshman in JUCO and made it the All-American team, you know, he was averaging basically, what, 13 and 15 with about three blocks a game. Um, Bell, who got a chance to play, big time college basketball at St. Louis. That's a good program and couldn't stick there. Um, ends up going to Juco and not really blowing the top off. It, it kind of gives you a lot of question marks and I'm not sure what the fit is. Um, I'm not sure if the talent's there and um, this is just something that I, I just don't quite get from Huggins. Yeah. I mean, I, I see pros and cons to this bell, you know, he's going to be a big inside presence, which is good. So I can talk myself into liking this addition to the roster, but um, I do share some of those same concerns. I also thought that, you know, West Virginia needs more bodies in the three and four position, like small forward, power forward. And uh, you know, we just seem to be lap lacking depth at forwards, um, maybe Hugs is going to focus more on playing two big guys at the four and five next year. Who knows what his plans are? The only issue is, like you were saying, with you know everyone talking about us going towards the Press Virginia route, um, you know, two bigs isn't ideal for that. So 
I'm, I'm kind of with you. I I like that he could have some potential, but there are parts to this that I thought, you know, maybe it's it wasn't a need that we really needed. So who knows? I'm sure Hugs has a vision for this team next year, so I'll trust his judgment. Um, you know, Jimmy Bell could increase scoring production um, because he did a little bit last year, but of course it was against lesser competition. So hopefully that transfers over to Big 12 competition, but who knows? For sure we were lacking inside scoring presence last year, so maybe Hugs saw something in him that made him think, you know, he can bring that to this team. Um, I don't know. He is a big guy with two years left. So, like I said, there are some things that I think are good, but then there's also some things that are a little eyebrow raising with this. Yeah. Well, what I'm hoping is, is that, you know, as kind of a, I guess, not the best way to go about things as you could, but it's college basketball and it's like the Wild West anymore. But, you know, if Hugs took this guy because he felt like he was going to go to another school and he felt like, you know, I just need to get someone else in here, but say someone else becomes available and you want to bring them in. You take that guy and you say, Hey, Jimmy, you know how I said you had a scholarship two weeks ago. It's gone now. Um, I doubt he signed anything yet. Um, but having him commit has him in the bag in case you don't get that extra guy to come in. And, you know, we've seen other teams do that where it's just like, we don't have room for you now anymore. Go find something else to do. Um, again, it, it's not the kindest thing to do, but I, I don't think Huggins is in the business of being kind to people right now. I think he's in the business of, you know, ending his career at WVU on a strong point. And to do that, he's going to take the best players he can. Yeah. Yeah. And if you take hugs at his word, I was reading some of his comments. Um, he really did speak highly of, that he can be a Jimmy Bell can be a good inside scoring presence. So um, I don't know if he's just saying that because that's what you got to say when you make a move like this, or if he really does see something that, you know, a hall of fame coach will can catch that maybe we're not seeing. Um, who knows, but that does make this next topic a little <laughs> eyebrow raising too. The Mountaineers have just one scholarship left and a player that they are considering is a cook, a cook. The former Yukon Husky is six foot nine and 215 pounds. So another big man and West Virginia fans should be familiar with him because West Virginia played Yukon this past December and a cook, a cook played over 30 minutes in that game. So um, we got to see a lot of them. He's a big guy who can pull down rebounds. However, a cook isn't a huge scoring presence. Um, he, he was early on in his career, but an Achilles injury slowed him up and his scoring has been really lacking. So what are your thoughts on snagging another big guy to complete this roster? See, I would love to have, um, is that how you say his name, a cook? Mm-hmm, yeah. Okay, good. Because. I was going to say something else. Anyways, <laughs> um, a cook, you know, I, I would rather have him than someone like Bell just because, you know, even though you have a little bit less time with him, he has shown the ability to shoot. And that's one thing this team really needs. I mean, if we look at the roster right now, who are our three-point shooters? I, I don't think we have a single one um, who we can say is reliable from the three-point range. I mean, they got all the guys we brought in have either shot 30% or less or just don't shoot threes. But uh, on that side, uh, a cook last year um, in 23 games, he shot about 1.2 three-pointers a game and made 46% of them. So he is a bigger guy. Um, 
you know, those Achilles, Achilles injuries do take some time to come back from, so that athleticism, or at least some of it, might come back. Um, he's long, and he shows a shooting touch, which is something that I think would work well with guys like Okonkwu and Wog, um, you know, and other any other big guys that we would end up bringing in throughout the pipeline. Um, because he can stretch the floor, he doesn't need to sit on the low block next to someone else, like we saw several times last year when we were playing two bigs, where we had guys three feet from each other because they had nowhere else that they were a threat. Um, having someone who can stretch the floor um, and someone who has a history of being a shot blocker, 1.7 blocks per game um, over his career, I, I see a lot of upside there. And he did it in a really tough basketball conference. So um, he, he's someone that I think would be a great fit. Um, but having an, if, if, if we get him and Bell and then our roster's done, man, I, I don't know what we're going to do at the three and four. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. Once again, I, I see pros and cons to this. I mean, he's a great rebounder. He's a great defender. So it seems right up Hugs' alley to get a big guy like this. Um, and maybe he can regain that, that scoring production, especially since we are going to be looking for someone to rely on. Um, and, and, and so I could talk myself into maybe it does come back around. But, you know, like we were saying, if that completes our roster, we're still lacking in the middle of our lineup, uh, you know, at that three position. So I don't know. I mean, if he brings them in, I, I won't complain too much. It's just um, I'm afraid we'll be too guard and big man heavy and we'll have that glaring hole in the middle where, you know, a lot of Big 12 teams have athletic guys in that three spot. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, I hope that doesn't come back to bite us, but I don't know. We're just making a lot of interesting moves right now, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, you know, in any sport or any level of basketball, that three or four position is honestly the the pivotal role. I mean, if you have someone who could be great there or can defend that position really well, then you're going to do well. If you have a glaring black hole there, then some other team's going to have someone who could take advantage of that. Um, you look at the NBA, you look at the college basketball, usually the best players in the game are those guys who are 6'8", six, 6'9", six, that can dribble a little, score inside a little, have a nice little jump shot. Um, and if you are, are guarding that guy with a 6'4 guard, you're going to get abused. And if you're guarding him with a you know, 6'9", 290-pound big man, he's just going to run around him. So, um, you know, I'm not sure if Jamel King's that guy. I don't know if Hat Sumanik could – um, he played more four in college and he's more of a shooter if he can defend at that level. Um, just a lot of question marks. Yeah. Yeah. And that leads us right into our next topic. Brad posted a really good question the other day and it got me thinking, I thought it would be fun to talk about is WVU's roster better or worse than it was last year. What do you think? I definitely think it's worse because we don't have anyone who, I'm confident can score the ball. I mean, Malik Curry and Taz Sherman were just so good last year. And I don't think anyone that we brought in it has that scoring ability. Now, you could argue that maybe Hugs sees Seth Wilson or Kobe Johnson as having that skill set. But again, it's just a big question mark. And either of those guys could blow up and be a leader of the team next year. We see it a lot. Players in their second year tend to step up. But that backcourt is really crowded especially with the new guys we brought in. Um, So those guys are really going to have to shine out, I think, to get minutes. And, you know, down low, 
Okonkwu, who technically should be, uh, he's going to be a freshman again next year, I think. Um, he's still really young. You got to remember, he moved up two classes to commit to WVU. So I think he was 17 for some of the time as uh, some of the time at WVU last year. So depending on him to be your go-to scorer in the post is a stretch as well. So this may be a two-year plan for Huggins, um, which means that next year could be ugly. But in order to win basketball games, you know, as much as I think Hugs would get off on the idea of winning the game like 32 to 31, um, (laughs) I just don't think he can do that anymore in college basketball. Yeah, Honestly, Keedy Johnson will be interesting too because he was a huge scorer before he got to WVU. And then, of course, once he was here, you know, he didn't score much at all. So the question is, was he deferring the ball a lot to guys like Taz or does he just not have the skill set that translates to the Big 12? I I don't know. But um, the question is, is this roster better or worse? I think it fits Bob Huggins' style more, these types of players. I mean, Huggins was never the type to go out and recruit shooters and scorers, which we did have a few, you know, like McNeil and um, and like Taz Sherman. Um, so I, I don't think it's more talented when you look at the players individually. I think if you take each guy off our roster last year, without a doubt, each individual guy's more talented. But I will say that I think this group meshes better than last year's. I, I feel like they are similar in their skill set. I feel like last year we had an identity crisis almost on the court. Like you didn't know what our game plan was really. And so, um, yeah, but like we keep bringing up, the only issue with this roster for next year is none of these guys stand out as scores. Um, now, WVU has won in the past without having big scores. They just made the games really sloppy and disruptive and, and made turnovers and and scored close to the rim. So maybe Hugs and this new squad can make it work again. It'll be interesting to see who they add for that final spot. I think that'll be a, a big factor. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm going to kind of cop out here, and I'm going to say individually we had better players last year. But as a whole, I actually like this roster a little better. I think it meshes better with Hug's style. I think it does too. Uh, I agree with that style point. But I think the one different, dif- big, huge factor that makes this team different than other teams where Hugs relied on defense so much is that we had a bona fide star player who could take over games. You know, you had Miles McBride or Derek Culver. You had you know, Javon, or, um, Javon Carter, uh, Daxter Miles, you know, you had some people who could just go off. I mean, there were so many games where either Miles McBride or Javon Carter would just have get catch fire and win the game by themselves. And there were other times where they were just facilitating, making the team better. I don't see either of those two guys on the team right now. And again, if it is, I think it's going to have to be Kobe or Seth. And that's just too much of a, a reach for me right now to say that, yeah, I feel confident that Seth or Kobe is going to be the next Javon Carter and Daxter miles or, um, you know, miles McBride and insert co-star here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you make a fair point. It's hard to argue that there's, there's really no one proven who can step into those roles. Cause you're right. When we were pressed Virginia and we were lacking, um offense you know down the stretch you could just give it to carter and more often than not he was going to make something happen and keep you in the game um but who knows maybe someone does step up i will say i like 
Seth Wilson's game. I like the fact that he gets to the rim pretty easily. And, you know, those are high percentage shots. So could he be that guy? Maybe. Um, it, it's like we keep saying, though, it's easy to say that on paper. It's it's going to be about them going out there and proving it, though. Yeah. I mean, I I think both Seth and Kobe have so much potential. I think they both could be, man. I mean, if you look at what Kobe with his size, his handles, his smooth shooting stroke, I think he has the ability to be really, really good. Um, with Seth, like you said, his aggressiveness. I mean, there were times whenever he started playing where he just didn't feel fear. And that was something that I feel like a lot of the other guys on the team were just like, you know what, Taz Sherman's on the court. I'm going to defer completely to him. When Seth was out there, he seemed like he felt like he belonged and that he should be taking shots too. You need that sort of mentality to be a star. And Kobe didn't really have that. But Seth, you make a great point. You know, he was aggressive. He drove to the rim. He would take shots from the perimeter. Um you know, he may not be the best playmaker at his, this stage in his career, but the tenacity is there. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And, um, you know, hopefully we we make a move in uh, this next week and we can talk about that final addition to the roster on the next podcast. Um, you got anything else for basketball? Uh, no, that was it. All right, guys, we got one more segment left. I thought this would be a fun topic to talk about. I saw an interesting question posted on Twitter a few days ago. So I wanted to ask you, Brandon, should WVU and Marshall play each other every year? I think it would be definitely interesting. Um, You know, I don't like the idea of going to Marshall every other year. I definitely think, you know, I think there's a few interesting ways to do it. Um, you know, one is to play like three home games at WVU, one at Marshall. Um, if you want to go back and forth and they're prying for teeth, then maybe you could do that. I don't know. Or find a, a neutral site. I don't know how many other stadiums are big enough to hold the fans for both, but, you know, find a neutral site to play the game in. Um, that could be fun. Um, you know, I, I would prefer to play Marshall rather than playing Tosin or whatever team we played, uh, Long Island University, is that who we played? Um, I kind of understand the idea and the reasoning behind playing those types of teams, but I think it's funner to watch as a fan, to be able to watch four quarters and either have an exciting game or watch your team beat up on a a fan base, a team that you just don't really care for. Um, You know, as a fan, if we're beating Marshall 50 to – nothing going into the fourth quarter. I might still watch that fourth quarter because we're beating up on Marshall. But if we're beating Long Island, Long Island University 32 to nothing going into halftime, I'm probably going to turn it off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't mind playing Marshall. I actually like it when they're on the schedule. However, I would rather play a team in a Power 5 conference or an elite team in a non-Power 5 conference, say Cincinnati or someone like that. So, um, you know, if WVU has to play Marshall, I I want them to play them instead of a Division II team. Um, I would be all about that, but we know that that's just not the way college football goes anymore. So, um, you know, if Marshall's replacing a game versus an SEC team or an AC, ACC team, I wouldn't love that idea. No. So, um, yeah. I wouldn't mind playing them every year, but I would have conditions. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think it fills that slot, like you said, for the D2, D3, FBS school. Um, 
or FCS school, sorry. Uh, just because that that should be kind of like your opener game. You know, you, you shouldn't really be starting off the season with a warm-up game against, you know, Notre Dame. You know, I know that would draw a lot of fans, and there are some teams who do do that because there's a lot of money in it. But, you know, for WVU starting off with a team like a, a Marshall getting your feet wet, you know, maybe getting punched in the mouth a little bit because they have a little more energy and then having to come back. We saw WVU do that a couple times against Marshall, and it really, I think, made the team better made things gel a little bit more um, because you play harder. You know, uh, there, there are a lot of times where against like an FCS school, um, maybe not at WVU, but other schools where that FCS school will come in and punch them in the mouth. And then that team doesn't know how to react because it's early in the season. And then they end up losing. There's a lot more risk with those sorts of games. Um, and a lot of that has to do with just the energy and the 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 will to go out there and win the game. There's really no stakes behind it for the players, like other than we're going to be embarrassed on ESPN for a couple of weeks. Um, playing Marshall gives players something to play for. The coaching staff can hype that up and say, you know, this is our crosstown rivals who have been doing well in the Conference USA or Sunbelt or whatever they're in now, and they think that, you know, because we've had a few down years, yeah, yeah. WVU is our little brother now, and you get to go out there and prove that on the field right now and show where WVU stands in the state of West Virginia and put them back in their place. So players will play for that. They might not play to play against the, the Long Island's surfboarding sharks or whatever they were. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I even did some digging because, of course, you know, it always goes back to money. So I, I looked up to see if there was a reason why FBS schools play so many um fcs schools you know every single year it seems like an fbs school has one of those games and it wasn't always that way you know in the 90s that was a rarity now it's every year it seems like you got one on your schedule and so i looked to see if it was more than money and what i found out is no for the most part it's just because of money so um fbs schools pay fcs schools division two schools to come to their stadium and beat up on them. And the thought of it is, is we're giving them a ton of money, helping them for, you know, their athletic department, which it does help a lot for those smaller schools. And then the exchanges you're getting, a guaranteed win, almost guaranteed. And that's really it. That's the only reason why they do it for the most part. Yeah, that's disappointing too. I mean, you know, I, I get it. Like, I, I think it's fun when teams like Kansas State play, like, what is it? Um, is it North Dakota State? That's like the powerhouse. Yep. And, and those games are fun to watch, watch because it is a competitive. It's a top tier F, FB, or FCS school. And, you know, they're playing a mid-tier FBS school. So it's more of an entertaining watch. It gives both teams something to play for. Obviously, you know, the, the Power 5 team doesn't want to lose to them. But if you lose to them, it's not as bad because it's kind of like, you're playing the best of the best out of that division um, where, you know, again, not, not to rag on Long Island university, God bless their souls. But, I mean, you know, what do you get out of that? Like we, I remember um, I think our first podcast was after that game and it's just really kind of hard to measure how good things actually are because things look great. And, you know, as we saw, as the season went on, things weren't great. Um, so I'm not sure how it helps the team, even if it is a guaranteed win, you know, that got us into a bowl game technically, but how much did it help the team? Did it help with our confidence? I don't think so. Did it help with, 
you know, making us feel better or ironing things out. Not really, because we stayed pretty vanilla as we should. Um, did it help our backups? Maybe they played a little bit, but it really didn't show anything to us. It really didn't mean anything. So it, it's just kind of strange that, you know, teams are still doing that. Um, you know, it's nice to have wins, but at what expense? It doesn't, the, the expense doesn't make you better. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And to kind of wrap all this up with all this being said, are there any teams you would like West Virginia to play every year or nearly every year? See, what I would like to do um, to kind of add an extra condition on this is um, that I don't know if how familiar you are with like the SEC, but they all, I think every SEC team has like a random like non-conference opponent that they play later in the season. Um, mm-hmm. I think Alabama played like Southeastern, Western, Arkansas State or some random team last year. But what I would love is to have the Big 12 accommodate that and have us play Pitt in like November again, because that's the best time for the us two to be playing. I mean, I'm not complaining about us playing Pitt again in the summertime, basically. Um, I still think it's going to be a great time. But having those two teams, Pitt and WVU, when the weather's getting cold and the season is you know there's something to play for you know where your team stands you know what your record is you know what you have to do um having that weight to that game and having those teams just go at it it is always just amazing i mean no matter which way it goes i think you're going to get a lot more fans that way i think you're going to see better football both teams are going to be in prime gear both ready to roll um that would be my dream scenario for sure yeah, that's hard to argue with. And I agree with you that that is a moneymaker. I mean, people who aren't even fans of those two schools watch that on Thanksgiving weekend. Um, people will come out to watch because, you know, you get extra time off around the holidays for most jobs. So I'm with you. That's a moneymaker. Um, that's a great idea. For me, I was kind of thinking for every single year, I would love it if we had some type of variation between rivals. So maybe not play Pitt every single year, but play like Pitt, Virginia Tech, or Maryland in a rotation every year. I think that would be awesome. Pitt, I would love to play every year. But honestly, that's the only team I would want to see every single year if we're not in the same conference. Of course, Virginia Tech would be great to play all the time. But would I want to see them every single year out of conference? Maybe not. Um, So I would love it if we just kind of rotated in those teams that we have bad blood with and be able to see them frequently. I mean, we haven't played Pitt in like, what, a decade? And now they're bringing that back? There's no way 10 years should go by between WVU and Pitt playing each other in football. Um, But yeah, I I like having the opportunity of playing teams you typically don't see for non-conference games. Like when we played Missouri, NC State, LSU in these past 10 years, I like seeing that because you get to see guys you aren't familiar with, teams you're not familiar with, and it just keeps things fresh and fun, I think. Oh yeah, I mean, but we had some really interesting non-conference opponents over the past few years. Uh, What, Missouri... Tennessee, Auburn, um, you know, those are great. I mean, I would love to see that. And, you know, another uh, non-conference opponent that we haven't seen in a long time that I think games were always fun is Louisville. I mean, I don't understand why that hasn't happened since. 
Um, you know, even someone like Syracuse, like that would be a fun, fun team to go up against again, too. Um, so I think there's a lot of teams out there, and I think it's great, like you said. If we could, I, I think the best case scenario would be we have one spot for you know Pitt, one spot for maybe rotation between like I don't know, Virginia Tech, Maryland, maybe Louisville. You rotate between those three, and then one spot where you're just going out there along the East Coast and playing you know, another power five school, maybe it's Boston college, maybe it's UConn, maybe it's Miami, maybe it's just someone like that. And I think the value of that extra spot and is you get to play in front of recruits in areas where they live. And I think that's what helped us a lot whenever we were recruiting those Florida guys is that we were playing in Florida all the time Um, and being able to say to a recruit, Hey, you know, we're going to play, Florida State next for the next two years, you can play in front of your family, you know, that you get to play against your buddies too. Um, I think that's valuable and we just don't play in Florida anymore. So being able to have those non-conference schedule games to play in front of people who are going to watch it that are going to want to come to your school is a great recruiting tool. And instead of playing against a, a game that only WVU diehards are going to watch against some FCS school that won maybe five games over the past two years. Let, let's let's play in front of, let's play opponents where people are going to watch them, especially recruits, because right now, Neil Brown's pulling in guys without all that exposure. Imagine if he got that exposure. Yeah. Yeah. And luckily we'll have that Florida connection again soon because um, who is it? Central Florida will be in our conference in a couple of years here. So um, I'm with you. I mean, those were like, some of the golden years for WVU football is when we were pulling all kinds of studs from that Florida area. So uh, we shall see. I just thought that was a fun topic. So that is all I got today. Do you got anything else? No, that's all I had too. That was a fun topic. Yeah. All right, guys. Um, let us know what you think. If you agree with us, let us know. If you disagree, let's start a chat on, I don't know, any type of social media you can find us on. So as always, thanks for listening and we will catch you next week. Thanks, everyone.